Hey friends, welcome to episode 94 of the Fierce Calling Podcast. I'm Dara Swift, your host, and I'm thankful that you are listening in today. And before we get started, I just want to invite you to rate and review Fierce Calling because every time you do a rating or a review of a podcast, it helps more people find it. So I would so appreciate that. And today I have an amazing guest who is sharing a powerful testimony. Laura Perry lived for nearly a decade as a transgender man named Jake before realizing the deception of the transgender lifestyle and leaving it all behind. And in today's show, she is going to share this radical transformation with us and how God pursued her and how she finally embraced her true identity as a woman. But there's a lot in between that she's going to tell us about, and you're going to want to listen all the way through. And just a quick reminder that Fierce Calling is part of the Spark Network that can now be heard on the Edify app. And if you don't have that app, you can go download it for free at the Apple or Google Play stores. That's E-D-I-F-I. And listen to amazing Christian podcasts. And the show today contains some adult material. So I would say if you have littles in the car or around to listen in later. And I know what Laura has to share is going to encourage, inspire, and challenge you. So listen in while I have a chat with Laura Perry. Welcome back to the Fierce Calling Podcast. I am very excited for our show today. My guest is Laura Perry, who lived for nearly a decade as a transgender man named Jake before realizing the deception of the transgender lifestyle and leaving it all behind. Embracing her true identity as a woman, her transformation was chronicled in a documentary, and she now shares her story of redemption at churches and conferences to help others find that same freedom. And I was blessed and just had realized after Laura was booked for the show that I actually heard her story on my friend Amber Combs podcast, Grace Enough. Um, Listen to that. You should go and subscribe there too, uh, Grace Enough. And I just was like, wow, God has really booked this appointment for us today. It was a divine appointment as always. So thank you for, for coming on the show today, Laura. So great to have you. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. And so I think I said, so grace to have you. Did I? I think I did. Well, I'm going to start saying that. That's probably cool. So grace yeah. to have you. <laughs> but anyway, so It is all God's grace. It sure is. So I am just excited for the listener to hear your story. And, you know, I know that anymore, this world has been upside down with a lot of different challenges and things that we deal with every day. And your story is going to bless a lot of people. And I know that it's not by accident that the listeners are listening to this today. So if you could, Laura, share a little bit about your story and how you're taking action where your passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. Yeah. You know, I, I grew up in the church and we were one of those families. We were there every time the door was open, we were involved in every kind of program there was. Um, you know, and I grew up hearing about Jesus all the time. In fact, I was also in uh, Christian school. And, but I, I heard a lot that I sort of had this intellectual knowledge. I knew it was true, but I didn't understand that there was more to being a Christian than, than just believing it. I had said the prayer. I actually, I don't even remember that really, 
but I had been baptized, but I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. I, I, and I don't know how I missed that boat. I just had a real misunderstanding of the gospel, of what God offered, of my need for a savior. Um, and, and growing up, you know, my mom will tell you in her own testimony, we often testify together. And so God has done an amazing work in both of my parents as well, but especially in my mom. Because when I was growing up, my mom was trying so hard to be the perfect Christian. And it was genuinely out of this absolute love for the Lord. And she was so grateful for what Jesus had done. But I think she'd been raised under such legalism that all she knew was really working hard for God to please him. So it was like um, her, her own efforts in the flesh. And she said she used to feel like she was on this performance treadmill for God. And she could never quite get there. And she would go to conferences and she'd get sort of um, encouraged, but it was always like, you can do it. You can try harder. And so she would go to these pastors and she would just cry and say, I just can't do this. I I don't know how to live this Christian life. And she said, um, they would tell her, Francine, you just need to try harder. And so this was like, when I was growing up, I I heard that that kind of got passed down to me. And that wasn't very appealing to a young child because all I ever saw was mom talking about um, Jesus, but having nothing but stress and just being burned out. And I, when I picture my mom growing up, I can still see the stress on her face. And I remember, and she would get so frustrated. She was trying to balance everything in life. She was so overwhelmed. When I look back, it's like, I don't know how she handled everything. I can't handle my life most of the time. Um, and I don't have kids and all the other things that she did, but she was, I think, trying to do way more than she could handle. And so a lot of times it was like, go away, get off of me, leave me alone, just go to your room, like anything, just, I've got to get this done. So it was always like these things that she had to do were so much more important than the relationship. But now that I'm older, I totally understand being that overwhelmed. And she was doing so much for me, um, but not really wanting me around. And as I look back now, I think that's a lot of the way that her relationship with God was. It was like she was doing so much, checking the right boxes, reading the right things, um, doing the right things, going to the right conferences, but not really having that relationship. And so um, as a result, I, I was very jealous of the relationship she had with my brother. He was very, very quiet and obedient, and I was not. You know, I was, I was hyper, had a ton of energy. And so I think a lot of times I just kind of added to her stress. And I was also born much later in life. And so they were very close. Um, she had miscarried two boys between my brother and I. And so I began to believe very early in life, maybe mom wishes I had been one of the boys instead. And so this lie just began to creep into my life. My mom had no clue how I was feeling. I didn't know how to tell her. And I was pushed toward my dad a lot. It was like, you, you act just like him. You look just like him. You are two peas in a pod. And my dad was very, very close to me and spent a lot of time with me. So I really began to identify with my dad a lot and with the masculine. And it didn't make sense. Like, how am I just like my dad? And I look like my dad and I act like my dad, but I'm supposed to be a girl. You know, it didn't make sense. And the more that I began to really identify more with my dad and with my brother, and I began to wear my brother's clothes and play with his toys. I began to wish that I had been a boy. And so this started very early in life. And as a result, I didn't know how to get along with girls very well. Um, and so at school, I remember thinking, I just don't fit in with them. I'm not like the other girls. Um, and, I, and on top of that, I had very, uh, a couple of really traumatic things happen um, where I felt really betrayed by a very good girlfriend. 
Um, so I began to not trust girls. I didn't like girls. Um, didn't really want anything to do with girls at all. Um, spent most of my time playing recess with the boys, playing football, playing soccer. Um, and so I just began to identify with boys my whole life. I began to write stories about how I'd been a boy, um, began to play male characters on video games and just sort of lived in this fantasy world. You know, back then I had never even heard the word transgender. So it was like, I didn't know anything I could do about it. I just had all these feelings that I was dealing with. And then when I was eight years old, I was molested by another boy. And that, that really began to change me. I, I was hiding this deep, dark secret that I didn't tell anybody. Um, and I just felt so dirty and so shameful. And, you know, I, I really blamed myself. And I remember hearing the term black sheep of the family. And no one told me that I was the black sheep of the family. But I remember hearing that. But I was dealing with all this guilt and all this shame. And it was like, that's me. That's, that's why I don't fit in with my family. I, I, I'm the black sheep of the family. And that, you know, it was just like the enemy would sow these lies into my life. And I just began to believe them. And because I was beginning um, to be hurt by my mom, but I wasn't telling her that I was hurt. I was always trying to earn her love. And so, you know, I thought if I could do the right things, I could say the right things and mom would be happy with me. And so as a result, I was getting more and more offended and wounded and I was harboring so much bitterness and unforgiveness. And I didn't realize the things that the Bible would have taught me if I had believed it. Um, like I knew intellectually it was true, but I didn't believe the promises were true, if that makes sense. I knew the stories were true, things like that. But as I began to, um, now on the flip side, now that I'm um, out of that, I'm looking back, I'm like, oh my goodness, I wish I had seen like Jesus, the, the parable he tells about the, the servant that wouldn't forgive the one that owed him this small, he'd been forgiven this huge debt, but he wouldn't forgive this one that owed a tiny debt to him. And Jesus um, said, turn him over to the tormentors. And I look back and I know that that's where the demonic spirits began to come into my life. Yeah, I, was, I was so full of unforgiveness. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, God has shown me this connection between bitterness and um, turning away from the Lord. It turns our heart cold and away from the Lord. Um, it's in Hebrews 12, 15, and 16 that says, looking diligently, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food um, sold his birthright. Mm. And so that's what I see in so many young people these days. We have people leaving the faith in droves. And I think so much of it, one is an enticement of the world. They've been raised on nothing but entertainment and social media, um, but also bitterness as they've um, been wounded, they've been hurt, and they've not been taught how to deal with it. They've not been taught um, how, to, how to forgive and how to let go of that bitterness. Um, and I think so much um, as, as, we, as we begin to wall off our heart emotionally, it begins to turn us away from God. We begin to blame him for what's happened in our lives. We begin to be ungrateful and bitter. Um, and then we're walled off spiritually and all that's left is the flesh and we'll do anything to please the flesh. And in fact, Romans one, if, if you study Romans one, it's fascinating how it talks about this progression of how they know the truth. God's revealed himself to every man. He's written his law in their hearts. But the very first thing it says, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful and their foolish heart was darkened. And it, there's this progression of how they turn away from the Lord. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Everybody I've ever talked to in that lifestyle 
um, or in any other kind of lifestyle, I think um, they will tell you they knew the truth the whole time. God has revealed himself in some way to every man. They may not understand all the gospel. They may not understand anything about the Bible. But in some way, God says he's written his law in our hearts. And so um, there's this there's this dual nature of I was wounded and I was so broken and I felt rejected by my own mother and by my sister. Mm-hmm. But I also had all this unforgiveness and bitterness in my heart. And so I was the one suppressing the truth. I was the one turning away from God. And when I was 16, I told God I would never serve him again. I began to run away from the faith. I wanted to be the opposite of a Christian, whatever that was. And so um, I really began to be very, very dark. And I remember I was drawing demon characters in my notebooks and I was reading a book by Marilyn Manson. Um, I started listening to satanic music. And um, I remember at one point I was listening to this song by Alice Cooper about how um, there was poison running through his veins. And I was like, yes, I want this darkness and just inviting darkness to come in because I was so full of anger. And I didn't realize where that road was going to lead. You know, those times that I refused to forgive my mom, I knew I should have forgiven. Mm-hmm. Um, and I should talk to her about how I'm feeling. But instead, um, it just, it's this progression over the years of getting angrier and angrier and more and more dark. And so by the time I was in high school, I hated her with such an extreme hatred that she never, ever deserved. Like I said, now on this flip side, I, I my heart just broke for her as I began to see her through God's eyes and see she was trying so hard to love me with everything. She was killing herself trying to do things for me. And so now I look back and I understand that. But I got into a lot of sexual sin because I was trying so hard to please the flesh, but I was also trying to find love in all the wrong ways. I was so broken. I felt, I didn't feel um, affirmed as a woman. I didn't feel like I had, um, you know, I felt so much less than most women. And so I, I was always making this effort to try to get men to love me. And I was just being rejected and dumped. And every time I would give, I'd give them everything they wanted sexually. And I kept thinking that would satisfy me, but it never did. And it on, they were, um, every time I gave something away, my soul was just getting more and more fractured and I was beginning to lose myself. And I was beginning to be so ashamed of what I was doing. And yet it was never, um, none of them ever wanted me um, long-term, you know, I was just being used and discarded. Mm. And I remember just my, my self-worth was just going down the tubes. And I finally, I was in this one relationship and I had been addicted to pornography for years. I had been in all kinds of sexual sin. Um, and I was sneaking around behind his back. I, I joined an adult hookup site. I'm just trying so hard to find any kind of satisfaction, any kind of love even if it was only for a moment. And I would leave so feeling so dirty and so ashamed. Um, but, but I was addicted to sexual sin. And I remember thinking at one point, um, this was the most horrible relationship I'd ever been in. Um, and he was an alcoholic, but he was one that, you know, I finally wasn't being dumped, but it was a terrible relationship. Mm. I thought, you know, the reason this never works out, the reason I'm never happy is because I was supposed to be the man if I was the man, I know how to treat a woman and this is going to be great. This, I've just got to figure out how I can live as a man and um, everything's going to be fine. Well, I had no, I'd never even heard the word transgender, but as I began to look up, um, like girl becoming a boy, all these results came up and it was like it opened Pandora's box. This whole world opened up to me. And I went, to, I found this support group meeting where I was living in Tulsa 
And I found all these people that felt like I did. And within five minutes, they're like, oh, you are definitely transgender. It's like, I knew it. I knew this was me. This was my problem. This is the answer. This is everything I've been looking for. You know, and I was worried I would never look like a man. They said, oh, don't worry about it. After a year or so of taking hormones, no one will ever know you were a girl. And I thought, this is the answer. And so at that point, once I embraced it, I didn't see any kind of brokenness or anything in childhood that had contributed. I didn't make any of those kind of connections. It was like, I was just a man trapped in a woman's body. All I need to do is fix the body and everything will be fine. And so I really began to pursue that with all my heart. Um, With everything that was in me, I began to take the hormones that I made all the legal changes. And um, I had, um, in 2009, I went to San Francisco and I had an outpatient double mastectomy, Mm. you know, and it's, but it's interesting because this was actually, it it seemed like the lowest of the low to my parents and they thought it was permanent. Like this is the nail in the coffin. She's never going to come back. God was answering their prayers. They didn't realize it for nine years. Well, really for about seven years of the nine they didn't realize that God was answering their prayers, but all along the way, God had been revealing himself to me. I can't tell you the countless number of dreams I had um, where he would remind me of the truth. I was reminded of the truth all day long, every day, every time I went to the bathroom. I mean, you know, in so many different ways, God was revealing himself to me. But after my chest surgery specifically, I'll never forget my boss came to me and she was very pro LGBT. She was a lesbian. She was like, this is awesome. But she got in my face one day and she said, look, I don't know what's wrong with you, but you're moping around here. You're depressed. You're not working as hard. You're unmotivated. I don't know what's wrong with you, but I want the old Jake back. Mm. And I was stunned. I was like, what do you mean? I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. You know, and I kind of blew her off, but I went home and it, it just bugged me. I thought, what is she seeing in me that I don't see in myself? I finally had to admit that my surgery hadn't made me a man. And I was really depressed because I thought, you know, at what point does this become real? Like I was happy in a sense because everybody's calling me a man. I looked like a man. I was legally male at that point, but I realized it wasn't satisfying this dysphoria that wasn't going away. And I still had all this anxiety and I still had this hatred of self. And I thought, you know, it's because I still have all the female organs. Once I have all the female organs removed, then it will be real. And so I had a, two years later, I had a hysterectomy and I um, had the ovaries removed. And it still didn't fix the problem. And that doubt was beginning to kick in. And I thought, what point does this become real? I've taken hormones for years. I have facial hair. My voice was much lower. Had all the legal changes. Now I've had all these body modifications. And as I begin to look into the genital reassignment surgeries, I began to get very angry. No one had told me how fake it all is. Mm. And I began to realize in horror, it was never going to be real. And on top of that, there are all kinds of complications that were just terrifying. Um, At the time, I don't know what the current statistic is, but at the time, 40 to 60% of girls would lose all sexual feeling permanently. And I was devastated. I thought, there's got to be a better answer. Like, I'm halfway transitioned, and I'm just some kind of freak in between. There's there's no, like, I... um, can't go back to being a woman. I, there, every time I thought about it, it was so painful. There's no way I'm going to be a woman, but I'm not really a man. And it just began to sink in that I was never going to be a man. And I was devastated. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app.
really a man. And it just began to sink in that I was never going to be a man. And I was devastated. And as I began to kind of drift through life, and I thought, there's got to be more to life than this. What is the point of life? And I really began to cry out, not to God. That wasn't the answer because I had grown up in, in Christianity. I had tried that in a sense. I didn't know what I was missing. I didn't know that there was something real. All I knew was that if you followed God's rules, then God would be happy enough to let you into heaven. I knew you had to say the prayer, but I didn't make the connection to why we had to invite Jesus into our heart. I didn't understand the way he would transform us and give us life. None of that made any sense to me. So all I knew was that if I, if I followed God's rules, then I could get into heaven. But it was like I had tried all that. It didn't fix my life. That didn't bring me any kind of peace. That didn't bring me any kind of happiness. And so um, I was just drifting through life. But my parents had been praying this whole time. And God was slowly drawing me back toward him over the years. And I remember I was listening to talk radio back then, and they would talk about God once in a while. And my heart just began to be open. And I remember at one point, um, my, uh, my mom asked me to make a website for her Bible study. And honestly, I didn't have any interest in the Bible study, but she was going to pay me money. So I was like, well, you know, I'll be glad to do that. And as I began to summarize the lesson, and she hadn't asked me to summarize the lesson. That was something I came up with myself. She had no idea this was going to fix me or that God was going to use this. It really didn't in itself didn't fix me, but God was going to use this. She had tried to fix me her entire life. All of a sudden, over the last few years, she had genuinely surrendered me into his hands. She just needed the website done. People have thought she like came up with this grand scheme, but she hadn't, you know, <laughs> so this was just like um, God's way of like, after years of praying, you know, and her trying to fix me. And then all of a sudden God wanted to use her anyway. But as I began to read the lessons, God began to reveal himself to me. God began to show me things I'd never heard before about how God was faithful and trustworthy. And all these things I'd never heard of God. I had always just heard about my sin, but I had never heard really, or at least had never understood. I'd probably heard it, but all of a sudden it's like my eyes were open and I began to see who God really was. Romans tells us that it is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. And on top of that, one of my life verses is Psalm 107, 20. He sent his word to heal them and to deliver them from their destructions. And so God just began to transform my heart and to draw me back to himself. And about, I began to call my mom every day and ask her questions about what she was learning. And she said, um, or one day I said, mom, what's happened to me? Six months ago, I was 180 degrees from where I am now. All I want is to hear the word of God. Like this has not ever been like me. And she said, well, I've been praying that God would draw you back like a magnet. Wow. That's what God has done. This was a miracle. And I ended up, um, through a radical encounter with the Lord, I ended up giving my heart to the Lord. I was so transformed because I had seen this change in my mother. Actually, when I saw the change in my mother, I knew the gospel was true. Like there's something real to this. And so that was the key that I always encourage parents. She surrendered me into the Lord's hands and she began to pursue the Lord for herself. She couldn't fix me, but she could surrender me into his hands. He began to work on me. And um, so when I saw the change in her, I knew it was all real and I wanted what she wanted. And so I began to pursue the Lord. I was I thought I was going to be a man of God. I was so sincere and so zealous, but God began to draw me little by little. And he began to give me this hunger for him. And so, you know, I was trying so hard to live for Jesus, but I didn't want 
to let um to let this male identity go and it was an idol for me and I, I was like god you can have everything else but this and I began to cry out to him I said what do you want from me I will do anything you can have anything in my life I surrender it all to you and he asked me a question he said if you stood before me tonight what name would I call wow that is not fair. I, I've repented of this. I said, I was sorry, but there's nothing I can do now. I can't go back. I've had all these surgeries. I have this face lower. My voice is much lower. What do you want from me? It reminded me of John chapter one, where it says, Jesus Christ himself is the creator. He said, you cannot claim to love me and yet reject my creation. And there was a moment where I thought I was being condemned because um, I was not going to go back to being a female. That was just not an option. If all the cards had been on the table, that one would have been removed. Like, you can have everything else. Mm-hmm. But um, in the most loving voice I've ever heard him all my life, he whispered to me and he said, let me tell you who you are. Mm-hmm. And that's what began to free me, not, not in that moment, but over time, as God began to reveal who he created me to be. And, but it it took a lot of time. I still didn't know how to fix it. I still had this mentality that I was supposed to fix it for God. Like if I can just fix my life then God will be pleased with me and he'll sort of get off my back. But I I didn't know what to do. And I was under so much conviction. I I couldn't stand it. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. And he really withdrew his presence from me. I knew he had not left me. I knew he'd promised he would never. And it's almost like I could feel him right there next to me, but I, but it was like, there was no communication. There was no, um, I just, I didn't have that peace that I had had. And so um, I began to beg the Lord with all my heart to take my life because I knew I was never going to have that peace again, as long as I was living in that lifestyle, not because he was angry. I knew he was not angry with me, but it was, but I knew what he was asking me to do. And I knew I was in disobedience to him. And so it was like, Lord, I, I have no other option. I can't get out of this. And I finally found myself in this deep, dark pit I couldn't get out of. And I didn't know Psalm 40 at the time that talks about the miry clay and this pit um, that he pulls you out of. And so I, I learned recently that that miry clay it's talking about is they were these tar pits in Israel where you had no way out. And the more you struggled, the more it would suck you in. Um, and you could only get out of it by somebody pulling you out. You had to have some external help. And so I found myself in this pit I couldn't get out of. And I could see the light at the top, but I had no way out. And I remember scooping up the ash heap of my life and saying, God, if you can do anything with it, you can have it. I have, I don't know what to do. I can't fix this. My life is completely shattered and there, I have no hope. The Lord reminded me of Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26 says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever will save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own soul? And, you know, I kept thinking, like, I think God is asking me to leave it all, to just walk away. And, you know, like, I don't know how to do this, Lord. I don't know how to fix it all. I don't know what you're asking of me. And I have a clear vision of Jesus Christ getting down on one knee. He reached his hand down in this pit I was in. And he asked me, do you trust me? And it was like, you don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to know everything that's ahead of you today. Just come and follow me. He wanted this little yes. And he asked me literally to just walk away from it all, move home with my mom and dad. And he would lead me little by little. 
I had no idea what the rest of my life was going to look like. It was so much pain. I can't even describe when I moved on with my mom and dad, I would pull one shirt out of my suitcase at a time and I would cry for an hour. The pain that was coming up out of me, but I didn't realize that God was healing me in that as I was letting go of it all. And I was choosing him over this pain or over getting out of the pain. And he began to heal me little by little. And as I began to reconcile with my mom, it was like he was peeling away the layers of the onion. As I began to forgive her, as I began to let go of the bitterness, as I began to let go of the lies. And as God began to bring women around me from my mom's Bible study, um, from other girls at church, God began to surround me with women who loved on me and who began to affirm me as a woman, who began to accept me as one of them, which I'd never felt growing up. And it's like, God just peeled away a little bit at a time. And as I looked back, it was like, wow, like I'm okay in this identity. I'm okay hearing the name Laura. And then I'm okay with uh, feminine clothes. And then over time, it was like, hey, I, I kind of like this. And then as I began to get more and more healed, God, and I had so much peace. I had so much joy. I was like, this is awesome. Like I'd rather live for Jesus than anything else. This is amazing. Because for the first time in my life, I was so filled with him, with joy. He had satisfied my soul in a way I'd never experienced before. I was so full of peace. And I was like, nothing else matters. Lord, you can have everything in my life. I knew it was worth trusting him with my entire life. And then he began to just rebuild my life. And all of a sudden, I found myself absolutely loving being a woman. And I was like, this is who I was all along. And then I began to, he actually gave me a love for not only being a woman, but for teaching about how he created man and woman. It's something I've studied for several years now. And so I've, I've spoken at women's conferences and I'm like, I just have, it's been a total transformation, but I had this desire for a husband and I didn't, I thought, you know, what man is ever going to be able to look past all this? What man is ever going to love me when I don't have breasts? I don't have um, a womb. I don't, I don't have any of that. You know, I have, I still have to shave every day. So sometimes I have a rough face, um, you know, all these things, but not only that, but all this sexual sin, I thought there's no way a godly man is ever going to want me, but I had this desire and uh, I had so many people praying over me for a husband and it began to feel after a while, I said, God, this doesn't even just feel like something I want. This feels like a deep longing, like I know he's out there. And I think God was preparing me. But I, I said, God, if I can serve you better single, then I will stay single. But if I can serve you better married, then I pray for this husband. And I, I surrendered it to the Lord. And I said, God, I want whoever you want for me, whatever you want. I, um, you can pick him for me. And so about a year ago, not quite a year ago, but almost, um, God brought an amazing man into my life. Um, I just, honestly, I'm so blown away, um, by the Lord. Uh, we got engaged, uh, a little over a month ago and we are going to be married here in a couple of months. I'm so amazed. I'm like, look at what God has done. I can't believe the redemption and the restoration of my life. Like it would have been enough if I had been saved from my sin and to have the peace and the joy that I had, but to see him continually bless my life to restore and redeem so far beyond what I could have ever imagined in the verse that he's had on my life or on my heart lately is Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or imagine to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. You know, and it's like, 
this is that's what I'm so amazed by is that God, um, there's an old saying I used to hear, God saves to the uttermost. Like he doesn't save just to leave us right at the starting line. That's just the beginning. God wants, if you're out there listening and you're thinking, I just can't do this. God has so much more for you than you could ever even conceive of. There's a, another verse that I love that says, I has not seen nor ear has heard nor has even entered into the heart of man, the things that God has in store for those that love him. So that's what God is offering, something so far beyond your imagination, a life so much more fulfilling. You know, it may not look necessarily like my life or like someone else's life. He has an individual and unique plan, but it's fulfilling and satisfying if you will allow him to tell you who you are and who he created you to be. Wow. That is so powerful. I'm pretty much speechless here, but I, I just, there's so many facets in that story of your life unfolding, coming full circle to come back to who you are and who God really created you to be. And just how you were telling the story in the beginning too. And I think, first of all, it's so precious how you and your mom will oftentimes share your testimonies together because that must be so powerful to sit and, and just listen to. And she had a transformation as well. At what point did she realize what a real personal relationship with Christ was? And where were you at that point? You know, it's interesting how God, I mean, he just wove our stories together. That's why we love telling this together. Um, She had tried to fix me for so long. And in fact, they ended up spending thousands upon thousands of dollars. They put me in a group home. Um, They had sent me to live with my uncle. I mean, they had tried everything. But the night that I came out as transgender was what really broke her. She, um, she and my dad didn't say a word to, um, to each other on the drive home. It was their anniversary. I was such a selfish person. I didn't realize how, how much this was going to devastate them on their anniversary. And for an hour drive home, they didn't say a word to each other. And she went home and she just threw herself face down on the floor before the Lord. And she began to cry out to him. And she said, God, I am so tired of trying so hard. I can't fix this. And God said, finally, waiting for you to admit you can't fix this. And it wasn't a condemning, mm-hmm. like, finally, you know, it's about time, <laughs> right. you know, but it was like, finally, you understand you can't fix this. You can't, you could have never fixed it all to begin with. This is all a work of the Lord in all of our lives. He doesn't give us children that like as some kind of performance test. Mm. You know, <laughs> the Bible says that children sanctify us for one, um, but also so that we can teach them about the gospel, but that we're, we're in these relationships, help each other grow, but it's all to point us to the fact that we really need God, that we can't do it, that we are so dependent on him. And that's, but the beauty of that is that he's the one that can do the work in our lives. He's the one that can satisfy us. He's the one that can fix it all. He's the one, like, I'm amazed at how he's so able to do everything that we need. Um, and so that's what really began to transform her. In fact, at one point, a couple of years later, I was having, I told her that God was speaking to me in my dreams and she was like, yes, this is, this is awesome. I, I'm going to help God out. Um, because, you know, I see there's a little bit of like God's answering my prayers and now, uh, God needs my help. And I'm going to speed this up. And she uses a picture when she talks uh, with PowerPoint and it's a, a picture of a turtle with a rocket on its back and like, <laughs> I'm going to speed this up. And so 
she said that um, she thought of all these ideas she could do to kind of help me out. Mm. And God spoke so clearly to her and said, Francine, only one of us is going to work on her. If you want to work on her, I'll go sit down. <laughs> but if you want me to work on her, you go sit down, you get in the word mm. and you work on your relationship with me mm. and I will work on Laura. And that's what God promised her. And so when she, um, and in the Bible say, they were all just praying. It was like over the years, she kept seeing like, God changed me little by little, you know, and uh, God was answering their prayers the whole time. Like they were expecting this one big prayer, mm -hmm. but we look back, it's like, no, God was answering the prayer the whole time. And these, these women in her Bible say were praying for me and they were so excited. And it honestly, it just kind of lit the church on fire too. We had a revival after I came home. God, because they saw an answer to this long prayer and such a radical transformation in me. So God had a much bigger plan than just my life. But these women, like I, there was one woman in particular that I just loved. She used to grab me, like if anybody was around and she would kind of grab my arm, she'd say, do you know what it's like to pray for something for nine years and ever standing next to you? <laughs> she, you know, though it, it just gave people so much hope. Um, and it was just, it, it really did so much for the church. And so I think we need to open our eyes and, and realize that God has a much bigger plan. God is not necessarily interested in giving us just this easy, comfortable life because it leads us away from him. He will often bring things in our life that are difficult, but it's in order that we will know the better things. There's a verse in Hebrews, also in chapter 12, but a few verses before the one I quoted earlier, that says um, the, the, um, the words once more, it's referring to the fact that he's going to shake the earth again. Mm -hmm. um, and it says the, the words once more indicate the shaking of, um, of things that can be shaken. And it says, in other words, created things so that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. And it's like, okay, so God, sometimes people are like, they're devastated. Like, God, what have I done? Have I not pleased you enough? Have I not done enough for you? Have I not been in enough programs? Have I not read the Bible enough? You know, why, why is my life just crumbling? Mm -hmm. But sometimes God will allow all these shakable things in your life to crumble around you in order that you may realize that you're, that you're standing in an unshakable kingdom, that you're on an unshakable foundation, that you're a citizen of heaven and that this life is not our home. Yeah. And so that there's so many parents that I, I talk to and I see one of two paths. Some of them end up so far away from the Lord because they pursue their child and not God. And they will chase and they will chase and they will chase. But the ones that surrender them to the Lord and say, God, it's all in your hands. Even if they're a young child, there are things you can do to influence a young child that you can't, an adult rebellious child. But even then, surrendering them to say, Lord, I can't fix all this. I need you. But the ones that truly surrender them into the Lord's hands and pursue the Lord, not just because sometimes our prayers can become all about what we want and just twisting God's arm hard enough. But if we really pursue the Lord for that relationship with him, those are the parents that I really see thrive. And they just, I mean, um, and it's, it's amazing to see how God transforms them. And then all of a sudden we, we see the, the children coming home. Mm, that is so precious. And I love too, how you've been sharing so much truth from God's word and sharing the word of God. And I love that version in Ephesians that says exceedingly abundantly above, because that just says so much right there. And just what comes out yeah. in your message is just like, you know, 
so key is prayer, surrender, and how even at the point where you were willing to surrender everything, but except this one thing, God's like, you got to give it all to me. You've got to give it all. But the fact being that you, you couldn't physically change who you were, no matter what you did to your body, it didn't make you a man, but also no matter what you did to your body, didn't make you less of a woman either. And I think right. that is so important. And that's really speaking so much into the lives of somebody, you know, people who are listening right now who may have experienced some of this and not understanding it. But, and then when you were talking about how your life was just in a downward spiral, it's just mm-hmm. like, it just sounds, you know, when, when sin kind of gets into our life like that and it just so entangles us, we just keep doing it and doing it, doing it. It's almost like we're, we're like almost punishing ourselves on purpose. Right. Like, let's just, what else more bad can I do, you know? And, um, mm-hmm. but not feeling anything that's fulfilling, like such lies from the yeah. world. And I love how God used your boss because he can use anybody to speak truth yeah. into our lives. It doesn't have to be another believer. Yeah. So that started some things going in your mind. Do you think that was kind of one of the, turning point. I mean, he was talking to you like the whole time, but, but that was pretty impactful. It was, that was a major turning point. And even right before the surgery, actually my aunt who she's not a blood relative, but I've called her my aunt my entire life. She was my mom's best friend. And this was the one woman growing up that I absolutely knew loved me. I loved being with my aunt. And I mean, I, I would just long to go to her house and be with her. And I knew that she loved me. She had proven she loved me over her life. But she wrote me an email right before my chest surgery. And she said, Laura, please don't do this. You are being deceived by the devil. You are such a beautiful girl. Um, Please run away from this. This is straight out of the pit of hell, you know, something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And I was devastated in a way. Like I I wanted to be really angry at her. I knew though, deep down, I knew she was right. Mm -hmm. And there was this kind of shame because I you know, I, I didn't want to disappoint her. So I didn't talk to her for several years. And I, I claimed I was really angry at her. But after I thought about it, it was like, you know, I knew that she loved me. I knew that it wasn't out of a place of hatred. It wasn't out of rejection. But as I was laying there on the operating table and I looked down on the at the purple dotted cut lines all over my chest where the doctor had marked where he was going to cut. And all of a sudden the fear began to hit, hit me that he's going to cut my chest open. Like this is terrifying. And, you know, I know it's kind of routine, but at the same time, like something could go really wrong. And I began to uh, be really afraid. And I thought, what if she's right? What if I really am in the hands of Satan? What if I wake up in hell? And I just began to cry out to God. And like, I hadn't wanted God for years, but this was the first time in years I had prayed. And I said, God, I know this wasn't your will for me. And I, I can't believe I admitted that. I knew that I knew instinctively his laws written on our hearts. And I said, God, I know this wasn't your will for me, but I have to do this. This is who I am. You know, I really believed it. Mm-hmm. And I thought I knew better than God, but I said, God, please spare my life. And so it was just this little bit of hope um, that maybe God would be merciful. You know, and I was really undeserving. I had stood in God's face. There were times in high school, I was praying to Satan, asking Satan to keep people from coming to know Jesus. Mm. Why God spared my life, I don't know, other than, you know, God didn't have to, but I think he knew 
where he was going to take my life one day. He knew the the future, but um, God was merciful to me, not because I deserved it, not because I had earned it, but because God is, he wants mercy. Yeah. And that's even a thing I've seen in the, in uh, throughout the Psalms and through other books in the old Testament, I had never understood God's mercy. And there's times where it says, like, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The sacrifices were only supposed to point us to Christ mm-hmm. and of our need for God. And when you begin to look at it from God's perspective, that he wants so desperately to have mercy on us, but he wants us to trust him. And he wants us to give our lives to him because he can give it back so much more abundantly in a way that is good for us, in a way that's good for others. Yeah. And it's so amazing, too, how God, you know, was able to bring this joy into the lives of all the people that have been praying for you. And that when they hit a rough bump in the road in their lives, they will always remember God's faithfulness in this. And it's just like, it just brings so much um, emotion, you know, to everyone that's listening. I'm sure that God is so faithful and good and he can use all of our brokenness for his glory and for our good. And he does, he does work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And, and I just, um, I just, I don't know, it's just such a powerful thing when someone sees transformation that is undeniably God, there is no other way to explain it. It's like, this is supernatural. This is like a miracle. And, and I can just, you know, I mean, it's just the joy is just comes right through and what you have now that, that peace that's such an important thing with, you know, your relationship with God was missing for so many years. And it was like that piece of the puzzle was missing. And I think too, you know, all of the relational kind of things, the way the relationships were going kind of awry or how you, you felt like you couldn't trust girls and, you know, all of those things. And now how God really brought the truth, like, this is who I really am. So you really didn't know who I was before. And now you know my character. Now you really know me. And now you can have women as friends and sisters too. And that's so sweet. (laughs) And now you're getting married. That's so exciting. Yes. (laughs) So, and it's funny, like God, you know, God has such a sense of humor. There's just something that, uh, that I absolutely love. So um, my, uh, my fiance's name is the same as my last name. His name is Perry, (laughs) you know, and it's, we have just laughed and laughed and laughed. It's like, God has such a sense of humor. Um, but it is just, it's so fun. Um, and I just, I, this man has just blown me away with not only his, um, with how he loves God, but the love that he has for me and how he, like, he tells me, like, I don't see you as your past. And I realize God has been teaching me so much about his love through Perry. And he's been teaching me about how God doesn't see our past. He doesn't, um, he doesn't judge us by those things. And or how like he genuinely wants to be with me. I'd never had a man, I'd had men use me all my life. I'd never had a man like that, that wanted to be with me. But God has been healing so much of these deep, deep wounds that I had. And it's just, it's been in such an incredible journey. That is so beautiful. Now you stopped short of actually getting that 
last surgery that you were considering doing, right? right. So you didn't get yeah. whatever, how they refer to that as? They call it general reassignment. Mm. It should be called general mutilation. Mm. Surgeries are horrific. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, I've heard of so many horror stories and just major, major problems. Yeah. Um, but I'm very thankful. But honestly, the real reason that I didn't, I was willing to roll the dice. I wanted it so desperately, mm-hmm. but it would have cost me about a hundred thousand wow. dollars. But I was using a um, sort of a, a prosthetic that um, that I had, and I realized at one point, even if this was surgically attached to me, like because whatever they use, if they use part of the arm muscle in for a lot of these girls that they do these surgeries on. And I thought, even if this was part of my arm muscle, like this is still not real. This doesn't make me a man. I realized they were just going to attach something to me. Mm-hmm. And I, it all of a sudden, it began to hit me that this was so much deeper than I wanted to admit. And now, as God has been teaching me, I realized that um, there are over 6,500 biological differences between men and women. We're two completely different creatures. And, you know, it, and that's only what scientists have discovered. That doesn't include everything God knows that we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've realized that God made male and female, two distinctly different creatures. And it, it points to Christ and the bride. It's all about the reconciliation of God to man. And that's why this is so critical. It's so much more important than, um, how you appear to others or what you want to call yourself and all of this, you know, and all that whole time, like God never called me Jake. God never affirmed me as a man. But at the same time, there was so much love in his voice. And it's like he wanted something. It was never out of condemnation. It was like, I have something so much better for you. Just trust me. Yeah, that was really powerful when you shared how Jesus said, if you're before me, what name am I going to call you? That was really powerful. And, um, you know, and how you kept coming to this realization that I'm sure, you know, the Lord kept bringing that to your mind that this isn't real and this can't ever be real. So you traded that for something that is real. I know this has been so impactful for our listener today too. And how can the listener reach you and get in touch with you, Laura, and um, connect with you and find your site and all of that? Uh, You can go to um, the ministry that I work for is called First Stone Ministries. Um, And if you have anybody in the um, Oklahoma City area, you're welcome to reach out. We have support groups. We do a lot of pastoral care, discipleship, um, kind of talk over the phone. We can encourage you, but we'll try to point you to a local ministry if we can. We have lots of parent support groups that will help you stand on a a biblical foundation. We know of other ministries. So um, please contact us. We have tons of resources on our website too. So that's firststone.org. I would also highly recommend a documentary that both my boss and I were in called In His Image um, from the American Family Association. Um, It's at inhisimage.movie. It's free. And then not only that, they have a ton of resources on their website as well, inhisimage.movie. And then you can also find my blog at transgendertotransformed.com. It's the same as my book title. You can get my book there or on Amazon um, and that as a contact page as well. That's fantastic. And um, so First Stone, is that ministry primarily to speak truth and offer help and resources into the lives of those who might be struggling with this or their families on how to cope and find ways that they can get answers of how to help someone that they love? Yep, both actually. And 
Um, as a ministry, we are primarily a pastoral care and discipleship ministry. So it's always like we're not trying to convert anybody or or fix this. Uh, uh, you know, we're not. Um, the, the focus is to not make people straight. You know, we get accused of that a lot. Like we're trying to change someone's sexual orientation. We are all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we know that if people um, can get healing for these things that have caused these problems yeah. in the first place and these desires, and sometimes it's pornography exposure. There are so many things that can lead a person to have these unnatural desires. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as people work on that, as we lead them in a relationship with Christ, often they will find healing. But that's our primary focus. And then we, but we also do have a parent support group. So we actually, and that's one of the primary ministries that God has had me in personally. I, um, I talked with lots and lots of parents. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we, we we're willing to help anybody that, that wants help. And it doesn't have to be related to an LGBT issue. Mm-hmm. Any, we say any kind of relational and sexual brokenness, that's anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, who doesn't have relational problems? Right. Yeah. So, um, but it's, but it's kind of in that, that that's kind of the focus of the ministry. So good. Thank you, Laura. This has been such a powerful message in episode. And I just really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. And I hope to have you on again sometime. Thank you. I'd be glad to. I'm just so blessed by you and may God continually bless your ministry and all that you're doing for his glory in sharing his truth and who he is. Thank you so much. And we'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you. God bless. Thank you for listening, and I think you probably can see why I thought it so important to have Laura on as a guest to share this powerful testimony. You know, the enemy is really attacking so many people in this area, and even in the high schools, even in the elementary schools, kids are so confused, and there are people who are encouraging them in these lifestyles that are not godly. And so we have to take a stand and stand up and we are able to overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So I'm so thankful for Laura to be very transparent and share hers. And I love uh, some of the quotes from the show that she said that he satisfied my soul in a way I had never experienced before. She said, God just began to transform my heart and drew me back to himself. My eyes were opened and I began to see who God really was. Friend, we can share the truth and hope of Jesus and help those who are struggling and confused and blinded by the enemy to find freedom. And I have all the links in the show notes so you can connect with Laura and also check out that documentary that she was in because I watched it and it is amazing. But don't forget to download the Edify app and listen to other amazing Christian podcasts. It's all awesome. And um, I hope you will join me next time when I talk with another woman who's taking action where her passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. Until then, friend, have a blessed week and I'll talk to you soon.